God, we love you. We give you thanks. We give you praise for all that you are and all that you've done in our lives. God, our, our prayer this morning is that we would hear your word directly from you, God. Would the words that come out of my mouth, would they not be my words, God? Would they be your words for your people on your day, God? We are here to worship you. We are here to hear from you. God, no one came to hear from me. No one really cares what I have to say. We all want to hear what you have to say, God. And so, God, I just pray that you would speak through me. God, would this word come alive? Would we be challenged and shaped by what we hear and what we read today? Will we go home knowing that we have heard from you, knowing that we have met from the one true God? God, we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, we are in week six of seven uh, in our Seven Churches of Revelation series. I have had so much fun in this series as we've kind of gone into these churches and kind of taken a deep dive into each and every one of these letters that Jesus writes to these churches in Revelation. I just want to remind you as we get going here, again, this is not a series on end times. We're in Revelation. There's a temptation to say, well, he's just preaching about the times to come. No, see, Jesus, Jesus lays out to these seven churches This is about now times. This is about you have been faithful or you have not been faithful. Here's how to repent or I want to encourage you. This is about now. What can we learn from these seven churches that Jesus writes to to change and affect our church here in Fresno in 2019? How do we take this and make this about now times? The rest of Revelation, from chapter 4 on, then we can start getting into some end time stuff. We're not going to touch that in this series, but I just, I I hope that you understand that. We are talking in this Seven Churches of Revelation series about now, about how we can better live for Christ, about how we can heed these warnings that Jesus gives to these churches in Revelation and and move forward and go forward as the church that God wants us to be. And so far, we have taken a look at the first five. We've been going in order, and so we've taken a look at the first five. And so far, we've kind of seen, seen some parallels in a different couple of places. We've seen kind of the parallel between Ephesus and Thyatira, and, and they both kind of had dangers that they were going for, right? In Ephesus, they were, they were holding on to the truth, but they forgot their first love. They were holding on to the gospel. They were, they were clinging on to it. They were testing people as they came and tried to speak to them. They were testing it with scripture to say, look, this is not right. And, and they, were, they were pushing those people out, the people who were trying to come in and share a gospel that was not the gospel. They were holding on to truth. But Jesus says, I have this against you in Revelation 2, between 1 and 6 there. He says, I have this against you. You've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten me. And in Thyatira, which is actually the fourth church that we talked about, they kind of had the opposite problem. They were, they were holding on to love. Right? Jesus encourages them in this letter. He says, look, I know you. I see you. I see your deeds. I see the way you love. I see the way you serve. I see the way you're persevering. I see all of this, but I have this against you. Essentially, you've forgotten the truth. You've held on to love and neglected the truth. And in the same way that it was dangerous in Ephesus to hold on to, to, to truth and neglect love, it's dangerous for Thyatira to hold on to, to love and neglect truth. And as a church, we need to lift up both of those things. We need to be a church that loves, and we need to be a church that holds on to the truth. 
Right, we, looked at, uh, <clears throat> we looked at two other churches. We looked at Pergamum was one of the weeks we looked at. Sorry, I had a little brain fart there. Uh, we looked at Pergamum, and Pergamum was a city that was in a battle for the minds of the people. Right, this was a city where, where basically anything went. There were four city gods. There were, there were numerous occupational gods. And there was, there was a, a pressure to worship each and every one of those gods and not just one. And so we have the church in Pergamum who is kind of in this, in this battle for truth. They're in a battle for their own minds. How can we, how can we worship God? And yet there is this push, and, and really Pergamum and Sardis, to say we can do multiple we don't have to just hold on to the gospel. It's okay if we want to just go and worship Zeus and Sardis. It's okay if we want to go ahead and, and worship Dionysus in Pergamum. It's okay if we want to kind of have our toes into both because it, what matters is that we believe. What matters is our, our soul. And so you have these, these warnings to Pergamum of I have this against you. You've let these people in. You've neglected the truth. And Sardis, you see, he, he doesn't even encourage Sardis. He just says, hey, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Hey, you, you've allowed some things to trickle into the truth that are not truth. You've allowed compromise. You've allowed things in that, that just aren't right. And as we, as we go through this series, it almost feels like I can kind of sense like Pastor Chris or any of these churches on track are any of these churches like good churches are any of these uh, we can we can just be encouraged by them because they're doing it right yeah there are there's two of them one of them we talked about in Smyrna Smyrna had Jesus didn't have anything bad to say about the church in Smyrna to the church in Smyrna and that was I think week three he just said I know your deeds I know your afflictions I know that you are poor but you are rich because you have me. You're rich. But he doesn't give them any encouragement. Right? But we get to the church that we're going to talk about today. The church in Philadelphia. In Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 7. If you want to start turning there, you're more than welcome to turn there. Uh, and if you're in one of our pew Bibles, I believe it's on 1064. Um, I don't have that written anywhere, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Don't quote me on that, but it's, it's at least close to that, I promise. So, uh, but that's the church that we're going to be at today. Um, and this, this church in Philadelphia uh, is a church that gets it right. It's a church where it's kind of the opposite of Sardis. So like in Sardis, Jesus didn't say anything good, and he just kind of went after him a little bit. In Philadelphia, Jesus has nothing against them. There are only good things to say about this church in Philadelphia. So as you turn in there, and I did find my spot, it is 1064 if you're using the Pew Bibles, uh, I'll just give you a little background on this city. So uh, this city of Philadelphia, uh, we, we have our own city of Philadelphia. We know what that means. It is the city of brotherly love, right? The city of brotherly love. That's that's. Actually, like a direct translation of that word. It's not just the kind of a, a thing that we say. That's a direct translation of that word. Philo, the beginning of that word, is a root for love. And it's kind of like a familial love. Adelphia is the word for brother. So literally, it is the city of brotherly love. And if you, I mean, ironically or not, this city was founded by two brothers. 
They named it after, after basically themselves. They named it the city of brotherly love. It was founded by two brothers. They were from the city of Pergamum. And so I just want you to kind of remember what Pergamum was going through, where these founders are coming from. Pergamum is a city with a ton of gods. Instead of just having one city god, they had four, right? This is the city where, or they were in a battle for truth, right? This is a city where they are coming from. And they are basically planting Pergamum, or planting Philadelphia as a city where these ideas of... <clears throat> These ideas of Hellenism, which is what we've been kind of talking about in each of these churches, and these ideas of kind of the Greco-Roman values that are in this area are kind of to be displayed. This is really a, a city where Rome can kind of just display who it is. That's really what this city is for. It's a city where, where Rome and all of that it has can just be, can just be displayed. Right, Rome's idea kind of, of of ruling over you, it was, I mean, there was definitely some pieces where it was... It was violent and it was forceful, but one of the main things that they did was they basically just made you try and fall in love with their culture so that you would just adopt it and you would, you would want to be a part of them. They, they, they wanted you to kind of grow affectionate for their culture and grow affectionate for what they did well so that you would want to kind of come over to their side. And that's what was kind of happening in this city. Philadelphia was located on a trade route uh, and it was a very small city. It wasn't a big city even back in even back when it was going on, but it's, it's kind of, uh, in the grand scheme of things, this isn't really an important city. It's kind of a, an unimpressive, unimportant city. Uh, even today, we haven't really uh, explored it a whole lot. We haven't done a whole lot of excavation there. We haven't gone in to try and, try and talk about or, or even really think about the culture that was there. It's kind of just in, it's kind of on the back burner, one of those cities that no one really cares about say a city here, and I just won't do that. So uh, <clears throat> it's, it's kind of like a city that no one cares about. We'll leave it there. It's kind of like Kettleman City. You, you only go there when you pass through, right? Uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of one of those. So uh, that's, that's, that is Philadelphia. Philadelphia, though, has kind of a, kind of a history and kind of a, a relationship with earthquakes. There is a lot of earthquakes in this area. Right? In 17 AD, there is an earthquake and it just levels everything. Everybody leaves. The governor at the time, uh, let me look up his name real quick. I forgot it. The governor at the time, <clears throat> maybe I didn't actually write it down. Uh, oh, Tiberius. There we go. The governor at the time, Tiberius, tells them, hold on, don't just leave. You can come back. We won't tax you for five years, and we'll just let you rebuild. So the people come back, they rebuild with not really a whole lot of help from Rome. They didn't get taxed, but they didn't get any money either. But six years later, there's another earthquake. Same thing happens. They, they try to rebuild. This time, they rebuild. And, and actually, sorry, the first time, as Tiberius it kind of gives them this, this way to rebuild, they end up changing the name of the city from Philadelphia to Neo-Caesarea, kind of after, after this emperor after this Caesar, right? So they named the city after him. There's another earthquake. About 30 years later, there's another earthquake. They rebuild the city again. This time, they name the city after that emperor, Flavia, right? It goes, it goes from Philadelphia to Neo-Caesarea, back to Philadelphia. Now it's called Flavia, 
and, and it just kind of just keeps flip-flopping. The name keeps changing. There's not really any consistency in this city. Now remember, this is not really a city that means much. So there's not really, no one really cares what it's called. It's just kind of a, it's just there. It's just a city that's there. And so in 90 AD, but one of the, one of the things they had going for them in this city was that the soil was very rich. It was volcanic soil. It made it really good for growing grapes and making wine. So if you remember, the city of Pergamum had a god of wine and a god of grapes. You can guess who the the god of, of this city in Philadelphia was. It was the same god, the god Dionysus. He is this, basically the party god. He's the god of wine, the god of grapes, the god of ecstasy. This, this god whose worship service were basically come and eat and drink and do whatever you want with anybody here, and that's worship. Right, this, is, this is the city god in this area. But in, in 90 AD, Domitian is the ruler at the time, and he is not happy that the wine in Philadelphia, which is now again Philadelphia, is better than the wine in Rome. And so he comes in, and he takes out all the vineyards, and essentially ends the city. There's, the economy is gone, the people are gone, and this is, this is Philadelphia. So this, this church, you can imagine in Philadelphia, is, is kind of going through some struggles here. I mean, there's, there's basically no consistency in the city for the time of the city. There's basically not a lot of consistency at all. And so you have this church that is really just kind of searching for an identity. Right? Even at the time, there, there was kind of a, an identity, kind of a joint, uh, joint effort between the Jewish people and the Christians. But, but even in the city, the, the Jewish people, they kind of began to push the Christians out. They were no longer allowed to worship in the synagogue, and so they were, they were basically homeless. They were out. They, were, they had no place to worship. They had no place to go. There was no consistency. And so you have this church that's looking for an identity, and you have a church that really is kind of feeling betrayed. Why can't we worship in the synagogue anymore? Why can't we, you know, there's this, they're feeling betrayed. And it's to this church that Jesus writes in Revelation chapter 3. So join me with there, if you will, in Revelation chapter 3, and we'll begin to, to dive in. Again, I'm going to go pretty slow through this as we go through this church. We'll kind of unpack it as we go here, but here's, here's Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 7. It ends at 13, but we're just going to go a little bit by a little bit. So here is, again, Jesus begins this letter to this church by introducing himself, by giving himself a name, telling them who is writing, and this is what he says to this church in Philadelphia, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Now, there is a lot, of, lot to unpack here. All right, first of all, just this, just this very first line. These are the words of him who is holy and true. What does it mean to be holy? Holy is set apart. Holy is, is completely different than anything else that is there. It's that I'm not comparable to any kind of the rulers that you have. I am, I am set apart. I am different from anybody else 
that is going to be writing. Any, any other ruler, any other person who claims to have authority, I'm different. I am set apart. I am holy. Not only that, I'm true. You can believe me. You can trust me. I know the best for you. You can follow me. I, I, I am holy. I am true. And then he gets into this, I, I hold the keys of David. The doors I open that no one can shut, and the doors I shut no one can open. What? <laughs> I mean, this is, this, is a little bit, uh, this is a little bit of a weird statement, right? But, but if he's, remember, he's writing to this, these people. These readers, these hearers would have understood what he's saying, and here's why. If you go back with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 22, you can keep your finger in Revelation, obviously. We're going to be there all day. But Isaiah chapter 22, we read about this, this key of David. All right, we read about it. If you, so I'm going to start at verse 20, actually, in, in chapter 22 of Isaiah. In that day, I will summon my servant, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the people of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I will drive him like a peg into a firm place. He will become a seat of honor for the house of his father. All the glory of his family will hang on him, its offspring and offshoots, all as lesser vessels from the bowels, from the bulls, <laughs> to all the jars. Here's this, this key of David here. The, the key of David. What I open, no one will shut. What I shut, no one will open. Basically, this, this guy here, Eliakim, has been kind of placed by God as the steward over King Hezekiah's household. He holds the keys to anything that is going to get done in this kingdom. God has placed him over that. And in his essence, Eliakim had, had total power over the comings and the goings from the king's house. And, and for these readers, they, they know something. They know what this key means. But they also know that any time you hear about the, the throne of David, the king of David, what you're talking about is not just a historical king, but you're talking about kind of the, the peak, the pinnacle of authority. And so this Jesus is, is writing to this church. He says, I hold the keys of David. What I open, no one can shut. And what I shut, no one is going to open. Here's what he's saying. I have the ultimate authority over everything. I hold the, we have the saying, the keys of the kingdom, right? I have this, I, I hold these keys. And he's not just talking about just physical doors on earth. He's talking about kind of a door to the kingdom. Right? I, I, will, I, I have the power to open this door. I have the power to close this door. What, what I open, no one can shut. And what I shut, no one can open. I have the ultimate authority. This is, this is how Jesus decides to, to introduce himself to this church in Philadelphia. He's basically just saying, I, I have the ultimate authority. And in a, in a city where there is kind of seemingly an, an ever-changing just guard, really, there's not a whole lot of consistency 
in here. I mean, just, just this by itself to them would be just a great message. Look, this is who's writing to you. I am a holy. I am true. Even though you live in this city where there is nothing really consistent, there is, there is a, there's not really a whole lot of true thing. You don't even know what to call yourself. But I am holy, and I am true, and I hold the keys of David. I have the ultimate authority. And then he keeps going here. We'll go back to Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, he keeps going. This is kind of the I see you moment of this letter. I see you. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. This is what he says to this church. Again, normally in these letters, like there's an encouragement and there's, a, there's afterwards, but I hold this against you. There's not that, they might have, after hearing these other letters, they might have been like just waiting for the, for the butt, you know, like I, I, you're doing well, but there's none of that. This is, this is just pure encouragement, pure kind of you're doing amazing from God to this church. He says, I see you. I know your culture. I know your afflictions. I know what you're going through, and I see you. And here's what I see in you. And he sees two things in this church that are really just, I think we can assume, are kind of the rock of why this church is, is doing well. Here's the two things. You've held on to my word. You have kept my word. That's the first thing. You've kept my word. This word kept is is just the word observed. You have have observed my word. You have held on to my word. You You have guarded my word. You have conformed to my word. And I want you to just just remember where they are. They're in an offshoot of Pergamum. Pergamum is a place where where there really isn't the truth there. There's a kind of a plurality of mind in every single way in Pergamum. No one worships just one thing. No one holds on to just one truth. No one does that. But here in this city, an offshoot of there, he's saying, look, you have held on to my word. You, uh, You have kept my word. See, instead of being baited by, by pleasure or being baited by the things of the world, being, being baited by the things that just feel good. Now, it would be fun to go to a worship of Dionysus' party. But these Christians are saying, no, no, no. This doesn't fit with what I read in the gospel. This does not fit with what I'm reading in scripture. This does not fit with what I've been taught. I, I want to hold on to the word of God. I'm not going to allow anything to come in that is not of that. There is a, there's a very high value of Scripture in this church. There's a high value on the Word of God, and they have kept this Word of God. He says another thing. Not only have you kept my Word, you have not denied my name. You have not denied my name. Not only is this church keeping the Word of God, They are not shy about letting people know. They are not shy about sharing the gospel. They are not shy about sharing the news of Jesus. They are not shy when people ask them, who do you worship? I worship Jesus. I am not going to deny the name of my God. 
And you can imagine in a city that looks a lot like Pergamum how awkward this might be sometimes. Hey, I'm going to this Dionysus worship party tonight. You want to come with me? No, I can't. Why? Because I worship God. I believe in Jesus. He's changed things for me. I'm not going to do that. They're holding on to the Word of God. They are not denying the name of Jesus. And that's a difficult thing sometimes, to not deny the name of Jesus. Sometimes it's just awkward. I mean, you can, I, I, I work a lot in uh, coffee shops. I can talk to a lot of people. Sometimes I just put my headphones in if I don't want to get stuff done and not talk to anybody. But inevitably, someone comes up and starts a conversation with me. We begin talking, and inevitably the question comes up, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. That is either, that's one of two things when I say that. That is either the spark of a great conversation or the end of us talking. That's, that's it. That's, there's no other way around it. And my wife has the same thing. Oh, what's your husband do? Uh, he's a pastor. Oh. Yeah, this, this is, it's either the beginning of a great conversation or it's the end of everything, right? But, but why is that? They, they know what I believe at that point. And they know what I better believe at that point, at least. Sometimes it's awkward. I, I've been tempted a few times. There was, I was just on the, uh, I was just playing golf the other day, and, and I was playing by myself, just going through, and a guy caught me from behind, and so uh, I just invited him to play with me. And this question comes up, what do you do? And there are days when I really do not want to say what I do. There are days when I would rather just say, uh, you know, I'm unemployed. Or <laughs> there are days when I just, I, I'm, uh, I'm in real estate. I, uh, yeah. I'm not going to lie to the guy. I'm a pastor. Interesting. We're on hole eight at this point, so we have ten more holes to go. <laughs> the conversation from that point forward was very different than the conversation when he first came along. It is, it's uncomfortable sometimes to talk about who we are in relation to Christ. It's uncomfortable sometimes to say, I, I am a Christian. But we can't deny Jesus. We can't deny the name of Christ. We have to, if you believe it, then man, let everybody know. If anybody asks what you're doing on Sunday morning, be like, hey, I'm going to this church. You want to come with me? I'm not going to deny what Jesus is doing in my life. I'm not going to deny who I believe. I'm not going to deny my faith. We can't deny our faith. This church, Jesus is, is praising them at this point for two reasons. They have held on to the word and they have not denied the name of Jesus. In a culture where it was hard, they held on to the word and they didn't deny the name of Jesus. Jesus keeps going here. We'll come back to that in a second. But Jesus keeps going here. Verse 9. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan. We've, we've heard this phrase before. This phrase was said to the other church who was doing pretty good in Smyrna. They had a similar issue with the synagogue of the Jewish people. They weren't able to worship there anymore. In fact, the Jewish people in Smyrna were turning in Christians because they, they wanted to keep their immunity that they had gotten from the government. 
And so we have kind of a similar thing going on here. But he, he talks about this, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet, and, and I love this part, and acknowledge that I have loved you. It's not like a, <clears throat> there's not like a hard, a hard punishment here. He's just saying, look, I'm going to show these people that kicked you out, these people that lied about what you were doing, these people that, that, that you really came out of, I'm going to remind these people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring them to you, they'll be at your feet, they'll have to acknowledge that I have loved you. They're going to acknowledge that I am real, that I am the Messiah. Because at this point, that's the only difference between the Jewish people and the Christian crowd is who the Messiah is. They'll acknowledge that I, that I have loved you. Verse 10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Again, the other church that, that was doing well was the church in Smyrna. Jesus didn't have this message for them. Remember, the church in Smyrna, he was like, you guys are doing good, but remember, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Some of you are going to get put in prison. Some of you are going to go through some trials. But if you come out on the other side, then we're good. And that's kind of how he left it to Smyrna. But here in this city, he says, hey, to the, you have been, since you have kept my command, I'm going to keep you from the, from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm going to keep you from what is coming. There is something coming. I'm going to keep you from that. You're, you're not going to have to, to go through that. Verse 11, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I wonder how important a name was to these people. Now remember, their city has changed names like five different times, probably in their lifetimes. And Jesus is saying, and remember, they're looking for an identity. They're trying to figure out what this means. I mean, people haven't been following Christ for that long at this point, right? And Jesus says, to the one who's victorious, I will write on them a new name. I will write on them the name of the city of my God. I will write on them my new name. These people will have a new identity in the kingdom of God. These people will know who they are. They will know that this God that they worship is true. Remember, he introduced himself as the true God. They will know that they have done right. And no one will question because those names will be on them. I mean, can you imagine just the encouragement that comes in this? I'm not fighting for my identity anymore. I'm not fighting for, 
for all of this anymore. I, I just, I just am. I'm just me. I'm a new creation. I'm a new being. I'm given a name by by the by the one who has a name that is above all names. I will have that name written on me. This is who I am. You can imagine just the encouragement that Philadelphia gets as they read this letter out loud. And you can imagine after how they would do this was these letters would go to all the cities, right? They would just pass along these letters. And so you can imagine letter number six, Philadelphia. They are hearing the other five letters. And then they get this letter. And you can just imagine like, what's he going to say? What's he going to say to me? What's he going to say to our church? What does he have against our church? And the letter ends. They look on the back. Nothing's written on the back. This is it. We're doing good. If there's anything that we can get from this letter, I think it's this. That we need to hold on to the things that this church held on to. We need to be a church that keeps the word of God. That holds on to the gospel. Holds on to the truth of the gospel. Holds on to the truth of Christ. We need to, we need to know the word. We need to be a church that is, that is committed to grow. That's why we do that. We grow because we want to have a grasp on this word so that we can hold on to it. We can hold tight to what is in this word. This is the word of God to God's people for us. In this book contains all things necessary for our salvation. In this book is everything that we need to move forward in our faith. We need to be people who hold on to this word, who don't lose it, who don't let anything else in and be gospel, who just allow the gospel and the truth of Christ to be the truth of Christ and to be the gospel. We don't want to add anything. We don't want to take anything away. This is the gospel. Let's hold on to the gospel. Let's hold on to this truth. And not only that, let's be a church that is unashamed of the name of Christ. Be a church that is unashamed and unafraid to make claim to this name. Why do we do the things that we do? Because Jesus. Why do we live the way we live? Because of Jesus. Why are we the way that we are? Because of Jesus. And because of this word. Let's, let's take some cues from Philadelphia here. I mean, you've, you've heard with me, we've read, we've gone deep down into these five other churches. I think we all know what happens when we don't. We all know the warnings that come from Jesus when we fail to heed these two things. Remember, one of the, one of the main things that Jesus talked about in these other letters is the failure to hold on to truth. And yet to this one in Philadelphia, you have, you have held on. You have held on to my word. Let's hold on to the word. Let's hold on to it. Let's not deny the name of Christ. Let's live by it. Let's go forward with it. Let's not be ashamed of it. Romans 1 comes to mind, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
Let's be people who are not ashamed. Let's be people who hold on to the word, who know the word, who dive into the word, who are unafraid to talk about it. Let's be a church like Philadelphia. Let's pray. God, we love you. We give you thanks. We give you praise for who you are, for all you've done. God, this church in Philadelphia is such a great example for us today. We also live in a culture where it can be uncomfortable to share the fact that we are yours. It can be uncomfortable to, to, to not deny your name. It can get us into some awkward places. We also live in a culture just like these people in Philadelphia where there is all kinds of things that are not of you that we can venture into. God, I pray that you would just, just cover each and every one of us. Would each and every one of us be... Be just people who hold on to the word, hold on to your truth, and hold on to your gospel. Would we know that it is truth? Would we not allow other quote-unquote truths to enter into our truth, enter into the gospel? Would we let the gospel be the gospel and be what drives us? And God, will we not be ashamed of you? God, this is our prayer as a church. We want to make a difference for you. We want people to know that we love you and that you love us and that you love them. God, will we be convicted to go out and to, to grow, to go and to serve? God, would you go ahead of us this week? Be in our homes, be in our workplaces, be in our conversations, wherever they may be. Would you go ahead of us and would you be in those places and would you help us to make a difference for you this week, wherever we may find ourselves? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're new here, we end service like this every time. I, I know it's probably awkward the first time, but I just ask that you would hold out your hands. I just want to pray a blessing over you today. May our God, God of hope and grace and peace and love, may he go with you this week, ahead of you this week. May he shape you this week. And may you make a difference for him in your community, wherever you may find yourself. Go in the power of the Spirit. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning.